Well, the 2023 spring game is in the books, and for more than one reason, that was a big success. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. We hit 2,400 on YouTube. Can we get to 25? Yeah, I think we can. So let's make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on make every moment more visit fandle.com slash locked on today to get started i'll be talking mostly about the offensive players who stood out some potential transfer portal moves or really just one move later in the show as well but the spring game was finally there and i think on more than one front it was a big success now i'm not the person who goes and gets into twitter fights about you know having the biggest spring game attendance however I do like having that because at the end of the day, sports are a very communal thing. And it's one of my favorite elements about it. You know, when I do play by play, I love, I think my favorite element of play by play is that I am a conduit between a lot of people, a community and the people who are playing on the field or the court or whatever field uh, for, for whatever sport. So I, I, I really liked that it was such a great spectacle. I think that helps on the recruiting front. We talked last week about how many big time recruits were there. A lot of blue chippers, a lot of guys in the 2024 class who, who were, who are guys that Oregon will continue to be targeting that we'll keep talking about on the show. And that really, really uh, could help the ducks one day. So Fans, you did your part on on that front, and I applaud all of you for doing that. I wish I could have gotten out there, but sadly, I had some work to do here at, uh, at at Southern Utah. One last softball series this season. Finished up year two with Southern Utah. Shout out to Thunderbirds, by the way, because I'm very much grateful to be a part of that school and grateful to be a part of this show. So the refreshing element was not just that the fans were there, that it was a great showing, that, that seeing them shout, I just, I, I get goosebumps every time. I love that they showed it on TV. I love that the students were there. I love that the fans were there. Everybody's into it. Everybody knows. And just see, I listen to shout from time to time just because it makes me happy. And seeing them do it inside of Watson Stadium on a day like that where, you know, we didn't have any major injuries, so nothing really went wrong. So nothing really could go wrong if you don't have that. It was just a really, really awesome thing. And then the baseball game had great attendance. They took two of three from a top 15 team in Arizona State. Like just a lot, a lot of good stuff at Oregon over the weekend. But that's not the only thing that I found refreshing. Two two big picture, well, three, three big picture things that I really liked from the Ducks in addition to the spectacle that was the spring game. First of all, it was kind of a defensive struggle. And that was kind of refreshing to see because this is an Oregon defense that we all know. If you're an everydayer, you've heard me talk about this ad nauseum on the show. It has to be better if Oregon is going to reach its goals, get back to not just the Pac-12 championship game, but the college football playoff this year or in the coming years. Defense has got to be better. And guess what? The defense looked pretty darn good. 
Now, what was the offense perfect? No. Offense helped him out with a couple drops. You know, Jaden Lamar, Kenyon Sadiq, back-to-back plays. Bo Nix puts it on the money. They've got, you know, a case of the drops there. They're true freshmen. It's their first time playing in Autzen Stadium. I think we can cut them some slack there. But I, I, I thought it was really refreshing to see the defense play in a way that I'd like to see them play. And frankly, that I don't think we saw last year. I don't think the quarterbacks were under pressure as often last year. I don't think there was as good a tackling last year. I mean, the first play of the spring game in 2022 was kind of indicative of how the 2023 season ended up going. It was a busted coverage, and Bo Nix hit a deep pass to Seven McGee, and then they went down and scored a touchdown. That's kind of, kind of how it played out. Now, it's not always going to be a one-to-one translation, of course, but just the overall theme of the game, aesthetically, was defense won the day. Right. 23 to 20 was was the final one touchdown came on the final play because it wouldn't be an Oregon game if you didn't have garbage time points. That's just that's just right on brand for the last couple of years from from what we've seen. But I I thought that the defensive lines really did well. I like the way that I I think you, you have a pretty good indication of what to expect for this upcoming season. Because of how Oregon structured this game, you had a balance of ones and twos and threes on either side. So there wasn't, you know, a, a dominating element. Now, there could have been individual matchups that that you look at and go, oh, OK, maybe that guy is is going to go up against a higher caliber player come the season. But there were also a lot of matchups where you're like, that's that's a number one for us. That's a number one for us on the other side. And, and overall, if you're talking just big picture, I think it gives you a good feel for kind of where where the team is at. But I, I thought the defenses did a great job getting pressure on quarterbacks. And, you know, there were, I think, just a couple sacks. But again, it's not all about the sacks, right? Stats are a starting point, not an end point. You need more pressure. You need to make them uncomfortable. You need to make it so the quarterbacks can't see open receivers because pressure's coming off their front side and they have to roll left away from where, you know, one of your corners gets beat. So I really liked that. I thought they tackled exceptionally well. The open field tackling, I, I thought, was really, really good. And, and and this was true for basically every defensive unit. I, I thought that there, there were not a ton. Obviously, you're never going to be perfect. But that Georgia game last year, I mean, that was a disaster. And, and I just felt like th- this set of Oregon defensive players, a lot of which were newcomers, by the way, I thought they played really well. And the other thing that stood out, too, you know, the the pressure, the tackling, but the overall team speed, which is something we'd heard a lot about, right? You know, sometimes coaches in, in post-practice pressers are going to say something because maybe they really think that, but they're, you know, leading us on a little bit. We don't really get to see, but it's nice to see that stuff aligning, right? We've heard Lanning talk a lot this spring about more physicality and more team speed. And I watched that game and I compare that to last year's defense and last year's spring game. And I saw more physicality in the trenches and I saw more team speed. I saw a lot, a lot more team speed. I, I mean, across the board, I, I thought defensively there was there, there was a lot to like on, on that sense. The other thing, too, it wasn't really a sloppy game. There, there weren't that many sloppy moments. I think there were just a, a small handful of penalties. I didn't jot down how many exactly, but... You know, there weren't a bunch of offensive line mistakes, which was great to see, seeing as how the centers were uh, Kane and Rossi, who is probably our third or fourth string center going into this year, and Jackson Powers Johnson, who's first or second, most likely at the center position going into this season. Those were your orchestrators on the offensive line. 
but the quarterbacks were were, were in command and uh, i'm going to save quarterback breakdowns for a bit later in the week because they deserve kind of their own segment all three of them but you know j- just real quick ty had a lot of down and then some up bo nix looked a little rusty from being honest like he was like he was fine but looked a little rusty missed a couple deep throws and i thought novasad shows some real promise so uh, but but that you know, I'll, I'll dive into that later and whatnot, because I, I just I, I think that the biggest takeaways were were pretty clear to me there as I was watching the game and and jotting notes down there. But not a lot of sloppiness, not a lot of penalties. Um, there, there, were, there was something else too. there. There was something else that stood out. It, it sounds silly, but it's really, really not if the defense is going to be better. And you can bet that this is an important part of your defense improving it's not something you can bet at FanDuel though which is America's number one sports book right now new customers get that no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars and you can make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs how about the dubs the other day Kayvon Looney MVP uh changed my I'm kidding I mean it was Steph he put up 50 points but if you had Steph over his point total in that game it would have hit Kayvon Looney, I bet you he went over the rebound total with 22 or whatever the number was. They've got great promotions every day. It's a safe, secure, super easy to use app. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action. Visit Fandle.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's Fandle.com slash locked on. 21 and over in select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 deposit. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restriction, restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit FanDuel.com slash RG. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 5334 Two 1-888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. And that's 1-800-GAMBLER.net as well if you've got an issue on that front. All right. This, uh, this spring game brought something that I really, really like seeing. I really did. Oregon had long punts. We had punts that took the ball from one end of the field around the 20 or 30 and put it on the other roughly 20-yard line. And I tell you what, I don't know if Luke Dunn is Jackson Rice back there. His first punt was not very good. But the other punts he had looked really, really good. And it sounds weird to get excited about punting, but punting and defense go hand in hand. They, they, they are peanut butter and jelly, right? You can make a peanut butter sandwich that's just peanut butter and bread or have peanut butter toast. That's fine. But you got to put the jelly in there to really sweeten the pot and give you that oomph. Great defenses are aided tremendously by great punting. And Oregon was dead last in average net yards per punt in 2022. It is not a coincidence that a defense that was talented and underperformed also did not get any help in the punting game. So that was encouraging. I, I mean, I saw high spiral punts that gave the coverage team time to get down the field. And we just we just didn't have a lot of those last year. So that was a legitimately encouraging thing. I, I'm, I'm not being facetious here. 
if Oregon's defense is going to make a jump, the punting has got to improve. And I, I saw some punts that made me go, okay, I think we're making a step in the right direction here. And I talked about the defensive line, making a step in the right direction. Open field tackling looked a lot better. I, I, I didn't see a lot of sloppiness from the offensive line. The execution was pretty good. The offense uh, overall, before I get to the individual offensive standouts, I think the offense was was pretty vanilla. You know, you, you had really just a handful of offensive plays and concepts that that you were running. I think the only kind of new wrinkle uh, that Will Stein had in there from, you know, the offense that Oregon ran last year, which did have a lot of the same concepts. There was that throwback screen to Treshawn Holden off of a jet motion that I really liked. There was a little bit of pistol. Not a fan. But I do like pistol play action. Those plays worked really well. Bonix missed Kenyon Sadiq wide open in the flat on one of them. I don't know what he was doing. But he hit him on another one. Sadiq looked really good. Um, but but overall, I, I think that's kind of what we should expect from the offense. I thought there were a couple other components. If, if you want to hear about you know what maybe looked different from the Will Stein offense, let me know. But overall, I, I think he's got a good understanding of how to utilize his personnel, many of whom were, were really standing out in a big way on Saturday in Eugene. So I wrote these down as I watched them. And the, these were the biggest individual offensive standouts. If you think I missed one and then I need to give someone their, their, their due credit here on the show, YouTube comments, drop one in there at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. We'll do defensive standouts on tomorrow's show, but these are the offensive players that stood out the most to me. Again, non-quarterbacks here, because I think we all understand what the quarterback room looks like. Number one, Troy Franklin. So we already knew that Troy Franklin was good. He'd made a sophomore leap last year, second team all pack 12. He could be Oregon's first thousand yard receiver since Dylan Mitchell in 2018. And look, if you had just told me he was the same player as last year, I thought he could become that this year. But to me, when I watched him, I thought he looked a little bit bigger, like he'd filled out his frame a touch. He somehow looked a little bit faster and every bit as fluid as he did route running last year. And, and he just looks like such a dominant, clear, number one go-to receiver. He made he had that, that third down conversion where Bo Nix pitched him the ball outside and he curled back against Kyrie Jackson, who, who I thought did some nice things on Saturday. He made Kyrie Jackson, that is a power five capable corner that Nick Saban once upon a time said, I want you to play football for me. Troy Franklin went out there and made him look silly. I mean, he'd barely beaten him on the route, but then the awareness, catching the ball, turning up field, the explosiveness with the speed. I, I, I think Troy Franklin's in for a big year. He, he, looked, he looked bigger and faster. He had the touchdown where he just flat out ran by a guy. I mean, it, it's it's... That's a dude. That's a dude right there. We need to enjoy the last year of Troy Franklin here because he's 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 off to the NFL after 2023. Dude's a stud. Speaking of wide receivers, a couple other uh, notable ones that stood out. It's not going to be the flashiest pick here. I was pretty impressed with Kyler Casper. Now, Kyler Casper had Ty Thompson inconsistently throwing him the football. In this game, but if you watch the routes and the moves that he was putting on defensive backs, I tell you, he looked good. I, I thought he looked big, you know, filled out his frame a little bit, was a bit thin coming out of high school. He looks more than big enough. He he is an explosive athlete. I, I mean, 
when Franklin leaves, I I really hope that he is the number two. And based on you know how the teams were kind of divvied up here, looks like he's got a shot to be that. We'll see where Jerry on Dickey slots in, but I think Kyler Casper. 2024, he could have a big, big year. And and I, I expect him to have a bigger role this year, right? Only caught a couple passes a year ago. Um, I, I think only caught like two or three. Like he he didn't he didn't do a ton. He was impressive. I I I I think his athletic potential is every bit what we thought it was when he came out of high school. He's a redshirt freshman. I think he could have a really, really bright career. Uh Josh Connerly is the starting left tackle for the Ducks. End of story. I watched a good amount of him. You know, I'm really curious how the offensive line shakes out, but man, he looks the part. He moves so well. I don't know that he got beat in a pass rushing situation. He was going up against Mateo, who looked pretty awesome, and, and, and a bunch of other guys. Like, no, no one was doing anything against Connerly. Bo Nix, when he faced pressure, it was not from the Josh Connerly side. So I, I, I think that's... But based on what we saw and what we've heard from spring camp, yeah, that's that's your starting left tackle in 2023. And I'm good with that. I am really good with that. Uh, had the early drop, not ideal, but again, true freshman. Uh, Kenyon Sadiq, that is. He looks a tiny bit small, right? Which we kind of knew. He was that hybrid receiver, tight end sort of guy. I don't know if he can be a big-time blocker as a freshman, so we need T. Ferg and Patrick Herbert to stay healthy. Herbert looked good, by the way, through that big block on the Tez Johnson touchdown. But Kenyon Sadiq is fast. You wonder how these guys get their star ratings? That's how. He caught that ball in the flat off that first pistol play action from Bo Nix, and he took off down the field, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Patrick Herbert is probably a more refined tight end and a better blocker once Sadiq, you know, fixes, I don't even know if he called a drop issue. He had one drop. Like, okay. He is an explosive athlete. I mean, that I, I thought that stood out pretty immediately. I, I really like Sadiq, and he's going to have to play a role this year. Remember, we've got Tiefer, we got Patrick Hurt. We did add a tight end who I, I'm going to get to uh, for, for tomorrow's show as well. But added a power five tight end. I still expect to see Kenny and Sadiq on the field at some point. I feel like that's a guy you just want to get the ball. And I I liked what I saw from him on that on that catch and run. Big, big time athlete there. Uh Treshawn Holden as well. Again, I talked about the defense looking faster. I think the offense looked a little bit faster too. Like last year, Maliki Matabao was one of the tight ends and Cam McCormick. They're not speedsters like Sadiq. You know, the, the number two receiver last year was Chase Cota. He's got pretty good speed. I feel like it. You know, they're, they're fastest. Treshawn Holden's probably a touch faster, um, but he's a guy who unsurprisingly looks like he belongs, looks like Bo Nix really likes him. I, I think Holden, you know, based on what we saw in that spring game, has got Bo Nix's trust, and that's a non-zero factor to, to consider when you're thinking about, you know, who are Oregon's most productive pass catchers going to be. So I, I thought that was I thought that was really encouraging. Um, on, the, on the running back front, Man, Dante Dowdell, I, I'm not sure how a guy that runs with that much power isn't going to get carries. I mean, I really, I've talked about Jordan James a lot on the show. I like Jordan James a ton. I think he could be Noah Whittington. I, I think they have similar body types. They have similar run styles. I really like him. He's going to get real push from Dowdell 
to be the goal line specialist back because that that power run he had, he was carrying like three defenders. This dude just got to the college level. He's an early enrollee from high school. He he is a big physical dude. And I I was mighty impressed with his explosiveness, his strength, the poise he had carrying the ball between the tackles. That that's a Carlos Lachlan, man. The dude, dude's a stud. Um, all right, last uh, big offensive standout here. Again, if you think I missed somebody, drop it in the YouTube comments. Shoot me a note on Twitter at Smalls underscore fifty five or at Locked On Ducks. Tez Johnson. They were not kidding when they said he is really, really fast. Now he looks small, but this battle, I don't think it's done between Tez Johnson and Chris Hudson. And in, in fact. It might not be a battle so much as it is a split of the time, the the playing time that is, because Chris Hudson, again, was productive, which doesn't surprise me. You know, almost had that outstanding catch down the sideline. Great play by Cole Martin, who looked awesome. Hudson is a really good player, but the difference here is Tez Johnson, that, that catch and run, that touchdown, I don't think that was even really that poor tackling. That was just Tez Johnson being one heck of an athlete. And he's got the breakaway speed that Chris Hudson doesn't have, right? Hudson gets behind the defense and he gets caught from behind, but still a really good productive player. And he, I believe, was the one who had that touchdown at the end of the game from Ty Thompson. And, and how about that throw from Ty to Chris Hudson on the long one, by the way? But Tez Johnson, oh, man, they just don't make a lot of athletes like that with that sort of speed. So they clearly brought him in for, for a reason, more than just being Bo Nix's brother. And that 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 is that is some kind of athleticism. Um, I I was most impressed on that touchdown run. I, I, I don't think it was a matter of like, oh, you know, the reserves were in there defensively or something like no, I watched him and I'm like, Yeah, that dude's that dude's fluid. That dude is an athlete. That's a guy right there. So curious to see how how that plays out. So those are the biggest offensive standouts for skill positions and offensive line to me. Um, but if you think I missed somebody again, shoot me a note and we'll talk about it. Uh, this one from blazer duck on a potential transfer here, because we all know Oregon is now under the 85 scholarship limit. How are they going to get under the limit? What's going to happen? They're at 91. How are they going to get down? They're sitting at 82 right now. Last time I checked. So that means they can add players. They probably will. Blazer Duck asks, Spencer, Zakari Franklin just entered the transfer portal. He was UTSA's all-time leader in everything as a wide receiver. Will Stein was his offensive coordinator. One, has Oregon given him an offer? Two, what do you think our chances of landing him? Three, do you see Oregon taking both Bryant and Franklin if they want to come? I'm always down with having more talent. As we all know, injuries happen. Thanks, Spencer. So, three great questions there. To my knowledge, Oregon has not made him an offer at this point in time, but he's a pretty recent addition to the portal. I would be absolutely positively shocked and floored with everything that that I know about the transfer portal and what I have heard, uh, not not at the Power 5 level, of course, because I don't work at that, at that school, but with everything that I've seen in terms of portal movement and players going around, I would be shocked beyond belief if Zakari Franklin has not texted Will Stein saying, do you have a spot for me at Oregon? Now that's no guarantee, but 
Has a conversation happened there? I'm going to go with a 99% chance of an inference that it has because he did have a lot of success with him. And he was a really good productive player at UTSA, despite being just a two-star recruit coming out of high school. Second question from Blazer Duck. What do you think of our chances of landing him? I think that given we've already made an offer to Gary Bryant Jr. to come into the wide receiver room, I would think that would take priority. And to your third question, I don't think we add both. I I don't think we add both because I don't think they need to. And I think you could find other positions, linebacker, for instance, where you could more reasonably add, add a player. Now, is your point correct that it's better to have more talented players than fewer ones? Yes. Of course. And, and I'm in that boat too. You never know when injuries happen. You never know when someone's going to transfer. Um, it, it just that, that that sort of stuff happens. Oregon's chances of landing him, I think, depend on Oregon. Because at this point in time, he hasn't generated like a ton of buzz. I'm sure he'll generate more as his name percolates uh, a, a touch. Heck, it's probably going around more as you listen to or watch this show compared to when I record on on, on Sunday night. If Oregon wants him, Oregon can can probably have him. I, I doubt there would be another school that could make him a more enticing offer, given the familiarity that he'd have with Will Stein. But I think Oregon's going to go after Gary Bryant first. We'll see where he ends up. And then I think you could circle back on Franklin if they decide they need to do that. But again, I, I really don't feel that Oregon needs to add a transfer wide receiver. You You could. But again... I loved what I saw from Kyler Casper. Jerry on Dickey's coming in the fall. You've got two slot guys already. Could could you add someone else? Yeah, you could. Maybe. I think it depends on what sort of personnel Stein wants to roll out with on, on offense. But I'd be I'd be pretty shocked if they took both. And I'd be pretty shocked if Will Stein and uh, Zachary Franklin haven't had a conversation already but thanks for the question keep sending them in appreciate everyone listening have a wonderful rest of your day and go ducks